We are in our second week of Moonshot Thinking, Unleashing the Holy Spirit. Now, where these guys on the, on the video, they all work for Google, and they work for a department in Google that their whole idea is to basically think of crazy things and fail at it, which is a really cool job security job, I think. Uh, but that's their whole idea, and I started watching this video, and I started thinking, yeah, but there's something even greater than a space elevator out there. There's something better than, you know, teleporting between here and Japan, which would be cool. I'm not arguing that. But this, there's something better than all of that because I thought about what it looked like to be a moonshot and what it looks like to change the world. And to me, immediately as I watched this even for the first time a couple months ago, I thought of the disciples sitting around in the upper room praying a group of probably around 70 or so, about the same amount that's in this room right now, praying, studying scripture, and the Holy Spirit falls in that room, and that group of people goes out and changes the world. Before that, there is no Christianity. After that, it goes everywhere. Think about that. And a, a group of people, the same amount of people that are in this room right now, and all of them are as inept as we are. All of them had the same flaws that we do. All of them shot their mouth off or were quiet. or you know, They all had reasons like, God, you can't use me here. And it's the difference. What happened before they went into that room and when they got out of that room is all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came and dwelt with them. And from there on, they could be projected to change the world as we can be projected to change the world wherever we're at, right here and right now. Moonshot thinking is a different kind of idea. And I thought it was really appropriate that we talked about it on, uh, on Father's Day, on Daddy's Day, uh, because I think fathers have the capability of either squelching moonshot thinking or unleashing moonshot thinking more than anyone else in your lives. Um, if you th- start thinking about the people who wounded you and why you won't try this or that, it might come back down to your dad. Um, and so dads are like, well, thanks, Jared, for that uplifting moment. Um, but it also, if I think about the person who believed in me and set me up and pushed me to do things, who was the guy who pushed you on your bike without the, tri- you know, without the, the training wheels? That's your dad. He had to be willing to let you fail. He had to let you uh, skin your knee. He had to be willing to do that. And maybe for some of you, it's like, no, that was my mom, or no one ever taught me to ride a bike, Jared. I'm still a little bitter about it. It was just an example, okay? <laughs> but that's, that's who we are as fathers and who we are even as Christians. And, and this isn't just for dads today. This is for everyone. But I think, dads, I really want you to press in and go, how do I unleash the Holy Spirit? How do I help the, unleash the Holy Spirit in my home, in my family, with my wife and with my children and with my grandchildren? How can I step in there and show them what it's like to live a life with the Holy Spirit and unleash the Holy Spirit in their lives? Because I think it's at a critical moment for us dads to do that. Last week we talked about how do we find a moonshot idea? How do we figure out what that even looks like? How do we even go, oh, I want to go do this. I want to solve world hunger. I want, and it could be something smaller. I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't know what your, what your moonshot is. I'm not in your brain. But what is it? And how do I even find that? And how do I figure that out? Well, there's three things we talked about. You got to dream about it. You have to delve into that dream, learn everything you possibly can about that, scour the scriptures about that dream, and then you have to actually do it. 
And we talked about how one of those three is probably a hang-up for you. Maybe you're a realist and you don't like to dream about anything. You're just like, I just want the facts. This, we're just going to do this. Maybe you are, <laughs> Kevin's like, uh-huh, that's exactly me. Maybe you're a delver. Maybe you just like to study things. That's, that's me. I really like just to read everything about it and, and become an expert in it. But, you know, then we have to do it. And then that's a whole different thing. Some of us don't want to do. We're like, ah, that's where we could fail. I was very, very safe in the delving or the dreaming. But the doing part, um, that's where we skin our knees, right? I learned to fish for bass this week, this week on YouTube. I've learned now how to do crown molding on YouTube and how to fish for bass. And I want to say I successfully caught the biggest bass of my life this weekend because I watched YouTube. Golf clap. Okay. Uh, if I could only learn to hit a hole in one on YouTube, I'll be like thrilled. Uh, but it's, it's just the way it is. Like, you know, what did his dad do? My dad taught me all kinds of other things. He did not excel in the fishing department or in the construction department. He taught me other kinds of amazing life skills. Uh, but just to throw that out there. But YouTube has been that. I had to actually go do. I, I had to, I could have, I was sitting there watching all of the YouTube videos of what cranked, what line to do and what reel to have and all these things. I was like, okay, I'm going to learn to fish and I'm going to teach my son how to fish. But if I never actually did it, if I ever never did it, it's because I was really embarrassed last year when Bowen caught bigger fish than I did. The, the three-year-old at the time caught bigger bass than, than me. So I thought this cannot continue to happen. And so we fixed that, and so we had to go do it. I had a dream, and this is a very childish way of looking at it, but it's an easy way to do it. I had the dream. I want to be able to fish. And some part of me, some, some manly part of me, wants to know that I could actually provide for my family if, like, you know, the wor- you know, world apocalypse happened, I could actually catch something. Of course, if a world apocalypse happened, you'd probably have three heads, and you wouldn't want to eat it in the first place. I understand it breaks down. Okay. But I want to know that I, could, I could, could do that. And so we would have eaten one meal this weekend. I fished for about 18 hours, but we would have had one fish to eat. Uh, so whatever. Uh, that was my, uh, yes, I only caught one. All right, Brian. <laughs> Actually, I caught another one, but we won't talk about it. Um, you got to dream about it, you got to delve into it, and you got to actually do it. Now, this week we're going to switch that and thinking, how does that actually live out? How does that work? How does that um, make, making our moonshot a reality? And specifically, dads, how do we help our loved ones make their uh, moonshots reality as well? How through do we unleash the Holy Spirit or help our family fall in love with the Holy Spirit and unleash that in our lives? As parents, um, I think as even dads, we want our kids to succeed. We want them to be the best they possibly can. And that sometimes uh, results into two negative things. One, we're over-committed, over-in-control. Or it results in another thing is we just give up and we don't care. We don't get in, maybe we don't care, but we don't get involved. We, we react one of those other two ways because we want them so badly you see this if your kid plays baseball or any sport. You see this there. You either have the dads who are not present at all, or you have the dads who are like, hit the ball! You're like, he's four. It's cool. Mickey Mantle, he will not be yet. Okay, just chill out. Uh, but we, we do that, and I fall into that. Oh, I want, I'm like, do it! And I'm like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I can't control this. That's not in my parameters. That's not my, no, well, hey, he's his own person. She's her own girl. 
But we do that, don't we? We do that in our grades with our kids. Oh, you're, you've got to get a... <laughs> and maybe it's back to like, we, we can't pay for this college, but you've got to do perfect score on your SATs because you've got to get a scholarship and you've got to do all this and we want to control it so bad. And your kid's like nervous and sweating and they can't even hold the pencil right during the SATs because they don't want to disappoint dad because this is a control issue. We've got to let our kids be them. We have to set them up for success not make them succeed. There's a big difference to that. We have to commit to do everything in our power to help our kids succeed, but we cannot make them succeed. And there's the same thing with uh, Holy Spirit thinking, is that it's all about one small little thing that will be easy for all of us to apply in our lives. It's called giving control. And that, that was a joke that was small and easy to do. But it's all about giving control Back to God. Because at the end of the day, as you take that illustration of letting uh, the kid go off on the bike, you're passing off control, aren't you? Before the training was, you knew you had them in control. You, you could do it. You could deal with it. They weren't going to wreck, no matter how badly they were at, uh, at steering that bike. But once you take those training wheels off, you're unleashing them to go way farther to do way more dangerous things and way more fun things. You are unleashing them to go do that. And as parents, and in enabling the Holy Spirit to, and, and, and helping them fall in love with the Holy Spirit, we do the same thing. Is yes, when we control them and keep them in our boxes and, and, and do this, we, we let them uh, live maybe safe lives or lives that are... Uh, controllable. But when we actually help them step into moonshot, Holy Spirit kind of thinking, everything changes. That's when our kids all of a sudden are going to Ecuador. That's all of a sudden when our kids are like, oh, the inner city sounds like a great place for me to go hang out, to love people. This does not sound like a thing I want my kid to do, my little beautiful daughter to do. But you know what? One day, maybe that's going to be her heart cry to go help people. And so I'm going to have this this struggle in my own heart is, do I control and keep safe or do I un- help her unleash? I want to be able to say I want to unleash. It's the thing that we have to strive for. And it's something about unleashing that we have to do in our own lives as well. Living a life that is a moonshot requires giving God the control instead of wrestling him for it. <clears throat> If it's about giving God control, how do we make our dreams come to fruition? Because if you give someone else control, you're like, Jared, then I can't do it. I can't make it happen. And I'm a doer. I want to I make things happen. So how, how does that work? They, they don't really work that well together when we think about, how do I make it happen? If, you've, if God's given me this dream, how do I do it? The short answer is, you don't make anything and your dreams happen. You can't make it happen. Think about dreams, the last dream you had, if you can remember them. I had one a couple days ago. This has really stood out to me. I was, I was doing something. Uh, we found out my neighbors about five, six doors down raised boa constrictors. Awesome. This should have been disclosed. I'm just saying. <laughs> so he raises boa constrictors. He's a really nice guy. I like him. Um... Might have to kill him someday, but that's okay. No, uh, <laughs> he raises boa constrictors, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. So immediately, I have dreams, 
Now nobody's going to come to my house ever, but that's okay. Um, I have dreams about boa constrictors, you know, attacking my daughter out on the swing set because we have a little creek behind us. And I'm like, oh, that'd be a perfect place for this thing to swim up. And the nice thing about having frigid winters is no boa is going to live outside. So it's okay. But this thing is uh, in my dream and I'm, I'm trying to protect my kids. And at that moment, I realize that it's a dream and I try to control the dream. I try to wrestle the control of the dream from my, from whatever REM sleep or whatever that is to me, you know, going and killing the boa constrictor. And I, as soon as I started making the dream do what I wanted to do, I woke up. The dream ended. And I woke up and it took me a little bit to realize, you know, what had happened there and what was going on. And, and I realized any time that I try to make a dream happen, it ends. That's where God interacts. That's where God's like, okay, here, this is the impossible. You know, whether it's you floating around on, you know, cotton candy clouds or whatever your dreams look like, whenever we try to wrestle control from it, it shatters and it breaks and you, you wake up. And I started applying that to how we, when we're doing our moonshot dreams and we're living out for God, when we try to wrestle it away and take control of it, it just starts to fall apart. That's God's area, not ours. Now, for the long answer, if you look at the Scripture, if you read any of the effective men of God, they're always on a journey. It's when they arrive at a destination that bad things happen. Moses is always on a journey, and that's where the beautiful things happen where God interacts with him, where the Ten Commandments are brought down, where amazing miracles are happening. David, uh, king of Israel, when he is on a journey and he is, he's doing all these things that God has anointed him to do, amazing, beautiful things happen. When he stays at home and stays put, that's where he falls into adultery and bad things happen. Always, repetitively, over and over and over and over again. When you look at the scripture, and you look how God is interacting with people who are changing the world, it is always on their journey. And so maybe we just need to get rid of this idea in our head that we will arrive at this moonshot idea. And as we think about landing on the moon, landing on the moon was always just a means to an end. It wasn't like, oh, we're done. Landed on the moon. Let's not do any more science. We're not going to check this place out. We landed here. We're done. Now everybody's like, ah, what about Mars? What about Pluto? What about everything, anything else? How do, how do we do this? And it's about the journey of that. If we're just like, oh, we, we figured everything else about space out. We're, we're done. We don't need space anymore. There's, there's nothing we can learn from that. That's just silly. The same thing is participating in God with our moonshot Holy Spirit ideas. Once you started participating in it and you go, oh, there's not an end point. It's just the journey of how God is going to develop us and do amazing things through this. Then we don't get the sense of, oh, I'm entitled to stop here. I need a rest and I'm done. We get the sense of what journey does God have for us today? The apostles get this, and they do a few things in this order 
that unleashes the Holy Spirit um, throughout humanity and definitely throughout the Mediterranean and changes the world. In Acts 2, something switches. They've been, uh, the Holy Spirit has come down and, and rested on them and empowered them. And Peter's preached his uh, first sermon and 3,000 people are saved. And the thing that was interesting to me is the next day something else happens. I'm telling you right now, if I preach a sermon and 3,000 people get saved and I got to baptize 3,000 people one day, next day I'm probably taking off. Okay? So, but I'm like, woo! Pull a back muscle, dunking that many people, you know, doing all these kind of things. That would be exciting. But Pete, the next day, this is what's going on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and it held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now, oh, sorry, time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but I w- what I do have for you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went to them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man he used to, who used to sit at the temple begging at the gate beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. This is just such a neat story of what's going on here. That They are going on their journey. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They didn't just stop after the first message. They didn't stop. 3,000 people. We went from 75 to 3,075 in one day. Are we done? Have we arrived? Will we stop? No. Peter's like, okay, well, let's go about our routine. Let's go do this thing. Let's go pray at the temple. And God starts on their journey, on the way to the temple, on their way to pray. God puts this person in their life, and they start their effective ministry. How they unleash this Holy Spirit is, is amazing to me. And how God starts to work on them is just, just floors me and how effective they are. And so as I think about it, what are the things that are getting in the way of maybe me being effective like they are with the Holy Spirit? What, what is the roadblocks that I'm setting up? What are, the, what are the things, the brakes that are being pulled that's causing issues and causing problems? And so I came up with a few things of how I get, I block the Holy Spirit's effectiveness in my life and how I unleash the Holy Spirit's effectiveness in my life. The first thing how I block the Holy Spirit's effectiveness in my life is I get busy. And I fill my hours and my days with busyness and I don't leave any room for God. 
I did a, <clears throat> early in my ministry, I, did a, I had an hour sheet of a week. And so it was like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, you know, going down for the whole day. And so I was supposed to fill out how I spent any time there. Because I was like, where is my time going? I just, it's, it was gone. And I'm, like, what is, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> like, I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything. What's going on? And so I filled out all this stuff, and I, I realized that there was just fluff. Filling, you know, I, I put in when I took, uh, when I read a book, when I wrote, when I talked, when I, when I taught, when I, uh, you know, how many hours of TV I watched, all this stuff. I put it all in there for a week because I was like, what is going on? Where is all my time going? And I realized there's a lot of fluff. I thought I was busy and really I was just distractible. And I was filling all the uh, hours of my day with distractions and not with purpose. I think one way that we get in the way of the Holy Spirit is we get busy. And there's all kinds of chores to do and things to do, but we, we, we busy it up. Second way is we get lazy. And this is the, the antithesis of getting busy, but if you were an athlete like I was in, in high school, I think um, the idea of athletic seasons really messed me up with this. I am very good at getting really, really, really busy, and then I'm very good at getting really, really lazy. Because I always had, you know, a traveling baseball team. We played and played and played and played and played and played. And then the off season, I'm not doing anything. Right? And then I was traveling, or then swimming. I would swim, 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 state meet, done. Gained 15 pounds. Right? I'd still eat all the pasta I got to eat before I uh, was done with swimming. And you just, you just, you stop. You go so busy and then you get lazy. And you get so busy and you get lazy. And you get so busy and you get lazy. And it's this weird, unhealthy uh, seasons in our lives. And sometimes I think we take that into adulthood. We're like, just for this season, I'm going to get really, really, really busy. And then we get really, really lazy in the next season. Sometimes, if we take this as spiritually, when we get lazy, we get indifferent about the Great Commission. Somebody else will do it. I'm tired. Or it's too hard. Third way in which we get in the way of the Holy Spirit is we get prideful. <clears throat> Maybe you're doing a lot. I mean, thinking that you're doing a lot for the Great Commission, doing a lot for God. And, but we have this false idea that I'm the only one that can do it. You're not the only one that can do it. You might be the only one that can do it that way, but you're not the only one who can do it. And that's hard to think about. And so the question I have for myself is, am I busy? And being productive is not being busy. Being busy is just kind of floating around. We call it justing in our house. Because that's when uh, someone will just respond with, I'm just doing this. I'm just doing the dishes. I'm just sit down and talk to the family. I'm just, I'm just going to run an errand. I'm just going to do it. No, 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 no. You're, you're missing the whole point. You're complaining about not being around the family or the, seeing the grandkids or this. You're missing the point. The point was the grandkids, not that the dishes were done. We'll get to it, I promise. They'll go to bed at some point. You get busy, you get lazy, or you get prideful. I engage with the Holy Spirit when I have a rhythm. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord aided, added to their number daily those who were being saved. They had a rhythm. And rhythm's very, very important, especially you know, to music. If you don't have rhythm and it's not steady, harmonies don't work. It's noise. If, if rhythm isn't hitting... You can't do the fun things. And as I, as I was thinking about this idea of having a rhythm, I feel like God works in the harmonies. He likes to add layers and layers of, of complexity to our, our lives and these beautiful uh, notes in our life. But if we don't set a rhythm, then we don't, don't get to participate in the harmonies. We don't get to participate in all that life has for us. God sets out a rhythm. He calls it a Sabbath. You work six days and you take a day off. This is mandated. It is beautiful um, that the Sabbath is mandated in the Old Testament. It's, it's mandated after the slaves have been taken out because it's saying to the slaves, listen, you used to have to work every day really hard for your masters. Now my requirement of you as my people, as my servants, is that you take a day off. And and for us, that sets to us, we have to have a rhythm in our lives so we can participate in what God has for us, not so that we have all this noise and this junk flying around and going on at the same time. Having a rhythm keeps you fresh. Having a rhythm keeps you available. Having a rhythm keeps you from frustration. Second thing is you have to have humility. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have uh, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter's saying, I don't, and I thought this was really poignant. He's saying, I don't have anything to give you, buddy. I don't have any money. I don't have anything under my own power. I, I didn't go fishing today and I can't sell my catch. I don't have that, but what I do have for you is even bigger. It's even better. I, I, I got what Jesus gave me. And a lot of us right now are the same way. I don't have these really big gifts to give you, but what I got is Jesus, which is the greatest gift ever. But we always think we, we, we take ourselves out of it, and that's even, even by being, uh, even having the self-esteem problem still being prideful. I don't have anything to give you, so I guess I'm not going to talk to you. I won't talk, I won't talk about this. I'm just going to walk away. That's still, I, I don't have anything to give you. Yo, you have lots to give you. We also fall in the same way when we say, I have lots I can give you. I can tell you exactly what you're supposed to do, what you're doing wrong, and what issues are going on. No, 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 no. It's the same thing. What I got for you is God. That's all I got. Having humility means that we can say, I don't know the answer, but I know who does have the answer. Having humility means we read the instructions. Mm-hmm. Wives are wanting to amen me right now. It's just funny. Humility says, I don't know. Humility says, I'll do better. And humility says, let's do it together. Right? Humility says, I don't know this. As dads, specifically dads, I think sometimes we don't want to step into this. I can't show my wife that I don't know what I'm doing. Guess what, guys? She already knows you don't know what you're doing. 
Have humility. Third thing is have courage. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went to with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Think about the courage instituted in this moment. Peter's standing there. I don't know if he just like winks at John or what. He's like, oh, let's see what happens. You know? He reaches down and says, I don't have money. But, and rips him up. But walk. Do you know how stupid he would have looked if he picked him up and the guy just fell down? <laughs> like everybody's like, oh, you're a jerk. Pick it on the cripple guy. I'm serious, this is the mental image I have. The courage, and that's the same thing that we have in our own lives. Is What if I do it and totally fail? But if it's the Holy Spirit move in your life, you're not going to fail. And so I just, maybe we need to have the courage to be able to go, I don't know what Peter's thinking. I, if it was me, it's like, okay, Jesus, please. <laughs> this is going to be crazy. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it looks like for your life, but maybe there's some few of these things. There's something in your life. It's not, you don't think it's that big, but it is a deal that you've just been unwilling to do for God. And you're like, never mind. Maybe I can find a penny. And you walk away. What are the things that you need to reach down and grab the guy by the hand and say, but I got Jesus. Come on and walk. Whatever that looks like. I don't know what, what areas that is for you, but I know you have them. Courage is saying things are going to be different. Courage is saying that stops with me. Some of us are dealing, especially dads, are dealing with generational junk where it feels like it's just been passed down and passed down and passed down. We're a hauser. We have a temper problem. No, it's stopping with me. Maybe you're like, we're a this. We have these problems. We're alcoholics. No. It stops with you. That takes courage. Courage to say, I've never done that before, and that's okay. Because if I look at my life, I'm not fine with the way it used to be. I'm not the fine, even fine with the way it is now. If I look at my life 30 years from now, I don't want it to be the same as it is right now. I want it to be different. I want it to be of living an adventure that is drastically different. As I started thinking about the moonshot and how it applied to today is that you don't get to the moon without first strapping yourself to a rocket. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. It's like we give the astronauts all this like glory. They didn't run to the moon. You can't walk there. It's the guys who like, figured out how to make the rocket fuel to go. Poof. It took the courage to stand on top of a huge tower of explosives. I will give them that. They didn't really do that much. You just sat there. Getting exploded into space. But to be a part of a moonshot thought means you have to have the courage to strap yourself to a rocket. To be a part of what God is asking us to do, to be a part of the people of God that God is wanting us to be, to be a people, part of the plan that God has for us, is having actually the courage to say, you know what, I'm going to strap myself to this rocket. What does that mean for us? How do our lives change? What becomes different 
when we strap ourselves to that rocket. Dads, you have the ability to show your kids what it looks like to be strapped to a rocket. You have the ability to show your kids what your life could look like by doing grand, great things. All of us have the ability to step into this moonshot thinking, this unleashing the Holy Spirit in our lives. And most of it about unleashing the Holy Spirit in our lives is getting out of our own way. Most of it is saying, shut up, Jared. Let the Holy Spirit take over. Giving control to God. If you want a different kind of life, if you may be thinking, I would like to be strapped to a rocket because life right now is kind of just boring. Maybe I have been getting busy. Maybe I have been getting lazy. Maybe I've been prideful. What? I want a different kind of life. Pray this prayer with me. God, I confess that I've been prideful. I've been busy and I've been lazy. I want to live with you directing my life. I want my time here on earth to matter. Lord, help me see where I need rhythm and humility and courage. God, let me be a part of your plan to change the world. God, I want big things for my life, but more than that, I want your things for my life. I'm not satisfied with everything staying the same. I want better. I want to lead better. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. God, I ask you to unleash dreams into our people today. The decisions we made today that change families' direction. God, that you would give us the courage to make hard decisions. That you'd poke and prod us where we've been busy or maybe been lazy. God, will you show us how to have a rhythm? Holy Spirit, will you fill us and fill our hearts? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.